Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another athlete interview. And today I'm so excited for our guest. We're returning to the sport of boxing. Brad Hoare, two-time Olympic boxer, competed in Sydney and in Athens. And an incredible story about uh, his Olympic journey, particularly his experiences at the Sydney Olympics. I'm, I'm not going to spoil this, but uh, Brad had a very interesting time at the Sydney Olympics. One that uh, he doesn't really look back on too fondly, and until very recently, kind of affected him even being able to watch the Olympics. He, he admits in this interview that it took him some time before he could even stomach watching an Olympic Games, based on what happened to him in Sydney. So it's a, it's a very unique story about kind of what happened there, and just kind of some of the, the, the cons of the sport of boxing and sort of how things are out of an athlete's control. So it's a very fascinating chat. And outside of his athletic career, talks a lot about sort of the, the pride that comes from being an Indigenous athlete in Australia and obviously the, the recent uh, seeing Paddy Mills as a flag bearer and everything that Paddy's sort of doing for Indigenous athletes out there. And just in general, how the Tokyo Olympics embraced Indigenous culture like nowhere else had ever done before in any other Olympic team. So... Great chat here with Brad. You're going to learn a lot in terms of his career and everything else in between. So here's our chat with two-time Olympic boxer Brad Hoare. Very excited for our next guest today on Off the Podium as we return to the sport of boxing. Our first male boxer today on the show competed at the Sydney and Athens Olympics and uh, a great career in the sport. And I'm so excited to learn about his journey and everything else he's been up to and the sport of boxing too, because as long-term listeners to this show will know, I've got a bit of a, a bit of an affinity for the sport and uh, I'm always excited to learn more from the people who are involved in it. Brad Hoare is with us today. Brad, first of all, thank you for joining us on Off the Podium. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you today no no worries guys thanks for having us and um you know excited to um be a part of the show so thank you it's um exciting because my i i will say i never had any experience in boxing it was a sport that you know kind of paid attention to you know over the years but i i was lucky enough to work at a job at the commonwealth games in, in sort of the media area and i i got appointed to boxing so i was the mix zone group leader i basically ferried you guys off the mat to make sure you got interviewed all that kind of fun stuff and Obviously was there for the entire tournament, watched every single bout, thought I was a bit of an expert by like day four, day five, of course, and loved every single minute of it. It was just, it was fun. It was energetic. It was, it was great. I mean, do you sort of find when you talk to people who maybe discover the sport, like someone like me, who've maybe never been to an event that that's kind of, that's the energy, that's the excitement of the sport that you can get by just experience it in person. Yeah, I think you need to experience it by person. You know, the, um, it is a love hate relationship um also but um just what the athletes go through really 
you've, you know, it's exciting. And sometimes when you're watching a fight, you might be thinking someone else is winning. And then when you, you know, that they have the decision, it might go the other way. It's a, um, it is one of them sports that you need to put all of it in. It's a selfish sport. And, um, you know, you ha- I think once you see it live, you just get addicted to it. Was it something that you always wanted to do, Brad, like sort of growing up? Was it something you kind of fell into? I mean, how did kind of the boxing journey start? Um, yeah, Dad sort of, I used to play rugby league and Dad, um, you know, I was small and um, stuff like that. And I just needed to build my confidence up. So Dad gave me the option of um, uh, boxing, taekwondo, karate. Um, and I chose uh, boxing. And then I went down to my local PCYC, which was in Parramatta in Sydney back many, many moons ago. And was it then sort of when you got more heavily involved in the sport that an Olympics was a goal? I mean, had you kind of grown up watching the Olympics and kind of thinking this would be a, a cool thing to sort of experience one day? Um, well, I started in 93 and I remember watching the boys fight because um, there was no women's uh, boxing at the Olympics then. But I remember watching um, some very good good boxers back then in at the 96 Olympic Games, and that was Robbie Peden and Hussein Hussain, um, you know, and I watched them and and always thought in my head I'd be I'd love to you know reach this high you know of of what it was and my first Olympic it, it came pretty quick I didn't even really know what the Olympics was until I really got in the village but um, you know I was still pretty young then but um, just to watch them fight at atlanta sort of gave it another bit of a spark but like i said i sort of fell into it as well it's also pretty uh, interesting that you start in 93 the year that sydney are awarded the olympics so it kind of almost seems like yeah, so, a bit of destiny yeah. in a weird way <laughs> yeah i remember um i remember staying up late watching that actually so um or early in the morning one of the two but it was it was night time anyway like yeah, early morning or um night but um you know, and I still, like I said, I, did, I still didn't even know what the Olympics was until I really, I, I went to Sydney Olympics and like, even though I qualified, I didn't really know how big the the village was, how many countries were representing, like just, you know, it's huge when you get in there. And how sort of was the scene kind of in boxing sort of between that period, say Atlanta, when you're on the cusp of your first Olympics, do you have some of those guys that you're watching in Atlanta able to, you know, learn from maybe even fight against kind of, and, and sort of get a, a bit of help maybe leading into a first Olympic appearance? Um, the first one, like I used to watch uh, Robert Peden a fair bit, you know, a, um, just his style and his weight, his weight was around mine, but Hussein Hussein, I remember he was my weight. Um, and heading into my first Olympics, I ended up training out of that gym at Bankstown um, under his brother for a little bit. Um, you know, and I did some sparring sessions with him. But he, he, well, the both of them turned professional before then. So, like, um, so they were professional and I was still an amateur. Uh, just the experience to be in the ring with them is unbelievable. You learn so much. Um, but definitely they, they teach you a lot of things and they want you to do your best. And we, we still speak to each other now, you know. I speak to Hussein's brother um, on Instagram a fair bit or, you know, just and he brings up a lot of old photos when he was a young kid fighting and um, it sort of gives you that memory, you know. I started when I was 10 um, and I think my first uh, amateur fight was at Canterbury Bankstown where these two kids were pretty well known in the boxing game already. In terms of when you're starting out as a boxer, obviously it's kind of one of the what, few sports, I guess, left at the Olympics where 
you're an amateur. You can't be a, a professional boxer. I mean, do many boxers just go straight to the root of, I want to be a professional boxer one day? Or does it just kind of have to work that you've got to go through those amateur ranks? You've got to go to Olympics and things like that before somebody will even, you know, classify you as a, as a professional based on how you've gone in the amateur career? Oh, I don't think so now. Um, even with now with the boxing, you can uh, turn professional and then come back into the amateurs. Um, they've sort of let that rule, and that rule's been in since the um, Rio Olympics. Um, you know, I know a few few of the boxers, um, you know, watching the Tokyo games, there's a few people that were professional and come back. There's a certain amount of, of fights that you can have to go back in, but I think the rules change again um, where they've opened it up a little bit more. But I think for the, you know, for a professional come back to the amateurs now, like um, you're doing a, a, a 10 or a 12 round fight and coming back to a, a three round round fight at the Olympics, you know, there might be just the speediness and, you know, the short, sharp um, boxing skills or what you need to do might um, not be in their favour. Is it, I, I think of a sport like wrestling at the Olympics, I mean, much different to the WWE Please, no WWE wrestlers listening to this hurt me when I say this, but one's real, one's fake. I won't say which. But, you know, people hear the word wrestling and they associate it straight away with WWE. They don't associate it with Olympic wrestling. Is that when it comes to, say, amateur boxing, when you think about boxing, a lot of people are thinking of Mike Tyson, you know, Floyd Mayweather, these sort of people, that the glitz and glamour of Vegas. Like, is that, a, is that a positive to try and get people into, like, the amateur ranks and kind of go up? Or do you think there sort of needs to be more done for the amateur side of things to advertise that, that it's not all just the, the Vegas fights and things like that? Yeah, I think we need to do a lot more with the, the amateur um, boxers uh, to keep them in the amateur game as well. Uh, you know, overseas do it really, really well where they're, um, you know, they get looked after pretty good and the amateur boxing is, is bigger overseas than what it is here in Australia. You know, the US, uh, definitely Ireland and England are looking after their younger um, athletes with the amateur game and and trying to keep them as an amateur as long as they can. I think with Australians, we just, you know, um, we're a country that's so far away and we need to go overseas to get this experience. So I think we need to look after our younger athletes coming up and um, to try to keep them in the game longer. Before you made that Olympic team in 2000, you talk about sort of going overseas, things like that. Had you had much experience? Like had you, you know, what was your first international sort of taste and, and sort of making a, a, a team or, or was it the Olympics? Was that your first ever international team? No, my, my first team was 99 Oceanas in Tahiti. Um, that was my first Australian side. Uh, I was in the B side then as well. We took two sides over there. I was in the B side and I ended up uh, get, getting silver then. Wow. Um, so, you know, I was pretty happy with the silver and, and, um, and then the next year was when it was pretty, you had to knuckle down then, I think. I think I only realised around then, you know, I probably still wasn't even looking at the Olympics back then as well in 99 and I was only a year away, but um, how fast it come around and, um, you know, and then meeting up with them, uh, the same fellow that beat me over in Tahiti uh, ended up beating him and then yeah we had our Oceanas in Sydney down in Canberra and then went from there and I had to win gold there so and what's that moment like it. then when you're thinking maybe that the Olympics you know isn't a possibility but you you sort of you qualify I mean you're kind of mentioning about how you didn't really sort of realize what the Olympics were but is it kind of little moments like that where all of a sudden it's like wow I'm an Olympian now 
Yeah, I think I remember qualifying in Canberra and winning the gold and still like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Um, but I think the older generation that's already knew how big the, uh, the Olympics were, like your parents, your friends, like your older friends, um, they knew how big the Olympics was. So when we were sort of like, when I qualified, it's like, oh, yeah, we just won another fight, you know. And until, like I said, until I didn't, I ended up traveling a fair bit after that. We had a lot of training overseas and, and things and um, meeting up with, or, you know, comp- competition sparring with other countries. And you realize that, you know, things are um, a bit more serious than what they were back home, like with comp sparring and things like that. They really, uh, you had to grow up pretty quick. And in terms of then when you these things are hitting you when you, you're at the Olympics, I mean, at least in the lead-up, given you are from Sydney and kind of the, the way the, the city kind of obviously was getting prepared and how, how much they were getting behind it, I mean, do you sometimes reflect and think that how lucky it was that that debut Olympic experience literally came in your backyard, that you got to be in an Olympic Games in, in your home city? Yeah, it's pretty pretty stoked. I only live 20 minutes away from the Olympic Village. Wow. So like when when we got announced when it was when we got the olympics i got to see the stadiums build every every weekend you know i used to travel to my auntie's house with mum and that and then you'd look at the stadium getting built and just go oh hell there's a big stadium there you know like and start and talk about it and the buzz was sort of getting around and then all of a sudden you qualify and then you're away training for three months and then you come back here and you're in that big stadium that you've seen get built for years I can imagine those special moments when you go to your first Oceanic, you know, getting the Australia uniform, things like that. I mean, is it a little bit more of extra special when you get the, the whole kit and it's got the rings on it and, you know, there's your, there's your opening ceremony gear, your formal gear, your competitive gear, like kind of all that sort of stuff that you could just go, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty overwhelming. You're in there and all of a sudden you get bags and bags of just gear <laughs> and, you know, you're just trying on gear and there's heaps of it. And, you know, I've still got some saved and put away and all my my things that i always treasure and you know my boxing kit is um framed and put away um you know the suitcases your tuxedo suits um things like that i I think that's pretty special and um you know hang on to it and um but the rings they mean a, a special thing to me and they always have um since i qualified for my first one and um you know excited for what's happening for brisbane you know that's um how that role played out as well. I was down there when we got named for it in Brisbane and I was like, wow, this is totally cool because I know what to expect and for another, another home game. So, yeah. Did you do the opening ceremony? Were you lucky enough to kind of experience that? Yeah, I was lucky enough to go to the opening ceremony, um, which was, well, I tell people, I still remember it. It was scary, exciting, at the same time, um, you know, 110,000 people just hanging over that fence there at Sydney Olympics and just cheering, you know, it was like, wow. Like, and you, you couldn't hit the streets. We tried to go for a run in the street once and, you know, you're pulling up and back then you had autographs. You weren't signing, uh, doing selfies or anything like that. So you had to stop, yep, here you go, and then run again. So, that, you know, you end up running in the village instead of running and hitting the streets. So, wow. um, yeah, stuff like that I'll never forget. 
I can, yeah, just kind of imagine that experience because, I mean, I think that might have been the first time I ever saw my dad cry. I remember watching that as a kid and he sort of said to me, like, babe, when Australia comes out, I'm probably going to shed a tear and sort of look over and <laughs> there he is, you know. And like, I still to this day, I'm such an Olympic fan that I always get a bit teary whenever an opening ceremony starts just because, like, wow, they're here, the, the, the games are here. But yeah, as you're saying, 110,000 people, you're walking behind Andrew Gaze, the crowd is going off. Do you, do you kind of get in your mind like, Hey, if I sneak here, I can I can wave to mum or I can get in the camera. Like if I kind of sneak behind Ian Thorpe, there he is. Like quickly sneak behind him or something yeah, like there that. Yeah, <laughs> there was. I think the person that we tried to hide behind was Laurie Lawrence back then. He was always on. <laughs> and um, you know, like people say, no, we'll hang with Laurie. Hang with Laurie. He'll get on. He'll get on. Yep. And then yeah, all of a sudden. But I wasn't. I was on the Channel Seven one ages ago, and like of the open so many back, just walking by myself and just looking in the crowd, just going, wow. Yeah, I can imagine. And do you do you how many of those little yellow kangaroos? Because I always remember those little yellow boxing kangaroos that were such a thing in Sydney. Do you when you get your kit, do you get like fifty thousand of them to hand no, out? Oh, we get a fair few. Oh, we we got to stack a bag full of them so we could throw them out to the crowd. Actually, I found mine the other year, nice. uh, last year when it was the twenty year anniversary for Sydney. Um, you know, so we we got to pack a whole bag um, that we had on our. You know, got to carry into the village and oh, out to the open ceremony. We used to allowed to throw them into the crowd so you know we always a few held on to them so yeah we got that there was a special light that we had around our wrist too that when you moved it would flash so um i've got that somewhere as well so nice i seem to remember roy and hg destroying a bunch of them on the dream i think they just got a whole bunch of them yeah, and well, ripped the kangaroo heads off didn't they <laughs> yeah i think i don't know if we we're on the dream we might have been on the dream that time too we we're on the dream um also on Channel V back in the day with, yeah. um, I forget who, I don't know, and, is it Andy? It was Andy G and then wasn't that's Andy where James G, Matheson yeah. started too, wasn't it? Yeah, like that, it was both of them together. So, um, yeah. yeah, we were on that show as well. And, wow. Um, so it wasn't too long when that all started, the old Channel V and Fox Studios down at Sydney as well. Yeah, gosh, that's, wow, I remember all that. I mean, it must have been like, because Roy and HG was just such a, a hot ticket, right? Like people were fighting to, to, to get it with be a guest, of course, but also like to get in the crowd. Like how how did you go about it? You just have to like beg people, get a ticket, and bump into Roy uh, and HG in the halls of Channel 7? or Yeah, I don't even know how it happened. We were just, you know, lucky enough to get called and um, have a, you know, an interview with them. But it, even I remember them, they came into the um, Athens Olympics and, you know, we had photos with him in there. But yeah. I mean, I don't even know how it happened, but we ended up singing some song they made up and um, <laughs> yeah, singing together. And someone sent me a photo of that too, like not too long ago. And <laughs> like, oh, yeah, good time. Like you just, some old school photos that come out, you just go, yeah, like some pretty cool times back then. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Obviously, though, you get to the Olympics, doesn't quite go to plan. Uh, what? Tell us what happened because this is a unique, story about how sort of you didn't really even get to compete at the olympics no so my, my first olympics was not my favorite at all um i wouldn't say not my favorite just wasn't wasn't meant to be but it made me the person who i am today um it made me a, a stronger athlete and it just had to plan out how it was so um i qualified for the, the sydney olympics um probably at the start of the year of, of 2000. And like I said, we went overseas for a long time. It probably was, no, it was probably winter. Cause I remember Canberra being pretty cold. So it might've been about April we qualified and then we trained till, you know, September overseas and, 
and I was a light flyweight then, so I was 48 kilos back then. And um, yeah, I was 17 when I first qualified for my first Olympics and uh, just the training was different. Uh, I ended up having a growth spurt and putting on a little bit more muscle than what I usually would when I was training at home with my um, proper coach or my coach. Um, and I knew I sort of had a, I had some troubles when we were in the US and that was our second last um, overseas camp before we had to come back home to Sydney and straight into the village. Um, we went to the US and then to New Mia to finish off some last bit of competition sparring, but I was struggling a bit in, in America. Uh, every day we had to make a, or had to weigh in every day, just that training to keep us under wraps. But I remember we had to be about half a kilo over our uh, fighting weight before we went to the next place. And I was struggling a bit then, um, you know, otherwise we, I'd, we couldn't go to breakfast or something or other. So I had to make it anyway. And um, I knew I was having some trouble then. And um, that went on from there. Then I went over to the last bit of training camp, which was in New Mayor and uh, still struggling a little bit. And then when I finally got into the village, it just wasn't moving at all. My weight just wasn't budging. And, um, you know, I was sneaking out of the village and heading back home to do some late night runs and stuff like that. And, uh just doing my best to get rid of it really um and then unfortunately i failed to make weight and i weighed in at uh, 48.3 kilos and uh got disqualified before i was allowed to fight really before the the games it was on the same night as the open ceremony so 0.3 of a kilo yeah 0.3 probably probably the weight of them little yellow kangaroos we were talking about before yeah (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, and that happened on the night. So was that before or after the opening ceremony? Uh, that was before the opening ceremony. So it was the, the morning of. So what they do is we uh, wait in the morning of the um, the opening ceremony and then that would um, put you into the draw and then you'd find out who you'd fight from that and then, you know, the next day you'd competition. They knew what weights were fighting on the on the next day of the competition. So if I was had to fight the next day and I made weight, then I probably would not have gone to the opening ceremony. Um, so, um, you know, that's, that's yeah, how it was. So I, was, I, was, I remember seeing the doctor in there actually. And um, he said, how are you feeling? And I remember just going, I just feel sick. I just feel tired. I don't have energy. Um, I wasn't eating that probably that last week as well. Like not, not much anyway. And I knew it was going to be very tough to make it. And I remember sharing the uh, sauna with James Swan, who was our featherweight, and he knew that I was struggling. And he ended up going in and telling the coaches that, no, he's, he's had enough, he's not looking good. And um, unfortunately, that's what happened at Sydney. So uh, not the the best Olympics as a, as a kid, as a 17-year-old or 18-year-old when, I was, when the game started. But um, and being a local boy too, only twenty minutes down the road was um, not the best uh, Olympics now. Which I can imagine. Then going back to what you're saying about the experience of the opening ceremony, uh, to know that you're not actually then going to be competing must be again a weird amount of uh, emotions that you're kind of in this moment. You're celebrating, you know, walking to an Olympic stadium, having the you know a unique moment, but knowing that you're actually not even going to be unfortunately able to compete. Yeah, not competing, not knowing if I was allowed to stay in the village was another one. Um, 
a lot happened there where, you know, not not with our teammates or anything, but I know myself and the head coach didn't talk to each other for a very, very long time. We didn't speak to each other till 2004. Wow. Um, and I qualified for the Commonwealth Games at a different weight as well, and he was our head coach as well, and he didn't talk to me at all throughout that whole um, the whole camp. Why? Um, why? Is it just because you was, blamed you? A, like... Yeah, I was an embarrassment to the sport. Wow. Um, but then, you know, Athens was a totally different game to Sydney, mm. which was it made me stronger. I changed the way I thought from being a Sydney, uh, from the Sydney Olympics. I had, I had a point to prove. And I use that as my motivation and um, the best motivation I've, I've ever had was to prove people wrong and I still do it today. And, um, you know, when I qualified for the Sydney Olymp- uh, for the Athens Olympics, I think me and Coach Bodo, we ended up um, having a talk and sorting everything out and apologise, he apologised and we, um, you know, talk when we catch up now. So in terms of then you go up a weight division, is that just comes down to simply the fact of you don't want to have those struggles again? You don't want to be kind of disqualified for that? Or is that more of a, this is how my body's going to be, this is better for me kind of? How does that decision yeah, come just, about? just ended up going up a weight division to the 51 class, which was flyweight. Um, and that's where I did all my, my best boxing. I, I grew into my body a little bit better and, um, you know, it was, I, I took a lot of time off after um, the Sydney Olympics, you know, the, the depression kicked in, um, like people telling me, oh, yeah, how couldn't you make weight? You should have made weight, stuff like that. It's just one of those things I couldn't do anything about it. Um, so I used that as motivation to prove people wrong. And and what I did was I'd, I'd say to everyone, I'll come back for the Commonwealth Games trials at 51 kilos and I'll win it and um, prove you all wrong. And, um, you know, when I went to the Commonwealth Games, it wasn't to try to win a medal or anything like that. I just wanted to be on that team at a different weight um, and, like I said, to prove people wrong and to tell people that I'm still uh, able to compete at an international level at a different weight. Which then must feel pretty special when you hear that, that opening bell go of your, of your first bout then at the Commonwealth Games. As you said, that journey, there you are, and, and you've done exactly what you set out to achieve. Yeah, it's always good, but I think the the best feeling was making weight at Athens. <laughs> was the um, was a whole different experience. But even like going into the village was a total different mindset than what I was when I went to Sydney. Sydney, I was I didn't know anything about how big the Olympics was. Um, you get excited about everything, but when you when I went to Athens, was no, I know where everything is. Like you know how the dining hall was. You know, um, what else is in the, the village, like the, the games room to keep you occupied, what the buses do, stuff like that. Um, the athletes hub, the Australian hub, just little things like that change. And I had my focus on, all right, I'm here for business at a different weight. Um, and to, yeah, like to enjoy my Olympic experience. I was going to ask in terms of that, that I can imagine now that, you know, going back to your saying about Sydney, you kind of, you know, maybe wasn't aware of all that, but now second Olympics, you make the weight, you know, you get to compete, but just soaking in everything from, you know, seeing the Olympic rings everywhere, just kind of, you know, all those sort of moments that I can imagine makes being an Olympian so unique. Yeah. Just walking into the, 
walking into the the village was totally different. Uh, you know, going. I remember just going through the the um, the security straight up and just going, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I deserve to be here." Um, you know, the Olympic rings again. The layout was very similar. Um, I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to make uh, that I wasn't going to fail to make weight this time. Um, I made sure that everything was done right at the peak at the right time. I remember jumping on the. I was on weight before I went to bed that night. Woke up. Um, we went to our first weigh-in for to get the draw, and that's you know when the media started ringing straight away. Straight after I got off the scales, the media rang straight away, and the first question they asked was, "Did you make weight?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." I just said, "I made. I made weight the night before. I told you I was going to make it." All right, you've, you've had your four years of saying this all the time. How's my weight yeah. going? All right, we can change it now. Let's um, let's talk about some positive stuff and concentrate on what we're here for. And then do you take everything that you're saying and, and kind of go into that that first bout? I mean, what was your confidence levels like? Like did, did you go into that going, right, all behind me now, I can meddle. This this is my goal. I'm going to I'm gonna go and, and go get some jewellery. Yeah, I, I think the Athens fight was, a fight that we uh, we could have won, I thought, you know, on the scorecards is a little bit different than what we um, what you could really watch, really. But I, out of all of it, that fight was probably when I when people ask what was your favourite fight, I always say the Athens Olympic fight, and then they say why, but you lost that one. I said no, nah, I learned so much then, and you know, I didn't call myself Olympian until I went to Athens. Um, so. Um, that fight there to me was just something special. Everything mm-hmm. about it was whole special. The whole Olympics was special. Um, you know, the the fight, you know, I fought uh, Ron Siler from the USA who was a bronze world champion that year and um, put up a, a good fight against him. And I remember we used to have, oh, we had to do video analyzing after the fight just to go over it, like if you won or lost with the, with the head coach. And that's when we made our, our piece together. He goes, Hori, we don't need to um, talk about this. He goes, I thought you brought fought beautiful. Um, you really gave it your all and I'm very proud of you. And, and that was it. And um, that then just eased so much, you know, hate between us both, I, I guess. Well, hate's probably not the right word, but yeah, the, the, uh, the tension between us. Which I love hearing stories like that because kind of as you as you mentioned the first perception is you lost how can you take that experience away you know your, your olympic journey is what basically over in you know three minutes or you know however mm. it works and but what makes the olympics so special and makes it a tournament like that is is when you hear kind of stories like that when you can still leave and kind of feel satisfied i mean of course you would like to win but like you still you, mm. you come out of it feeling much more than you know a simple victory might give you Yes, yeah, it's, it's like that, and you know it's it's totally hard. Like you see these these countries overseas, and you know your European countries, your 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 really really tough countries that that use boxing to get out of their country so they can live a better life in other countries. You know, um, we're pretty lucky here in Australia. We live in one of the best countries, or the best country in the world, and you know we can always come back to something. Um, you know, it's a sport. You got to love it, and and what I achieved that day, and how much pressure I had on myself for four years, 
was the best feeling in the world. And um, to call myself Olympian finally then um, was something special to me. Now I call myself a dual Olympian, which, you know, I've um, what happened in Sydney was meant to be. It's, it's made me stronger of who I am today. And um, I don't, you know, I used to get really, really depressed about it every now and then, or I used to get depressed about when the Olympic year was used to come around. Um, Tokyo was the first Olympics where, like, I've sat down and watched the whole Olympics for two weeks. Wow. And how did you find it kind of now that you, I guess, in some way have put those demons to rest? Oh, I love it. Like, mate, I'm still, you know, you got the that whole two weeks of the Olympics and then you got, you know, two weeks break and then you got the Paralympics on it. You know, it's, it, you know what's going on with them athletes and it's unbelievable. Like, oh, I can watch anything. And I would support anything um, that's got something to do with the Olympics. And me doing some work with the Olympics is is one of the proudest moments now. Like I think I do more. I I feel more of Olympian of what I'm doing now than what I was when I was fighting. Um, you know, supporting, doing my work with the Olympics, going out to these schools and talking about my career, and hopefully I can um, inspire one person to, to be an athlete or to dream big and go for their goals and don't let anyone knock you back really and is that something that you approach the AOC does the AOC approach you I mean is it kind of like an Olympics club that you kind of all hang out and then all of a sudden you got somebody approaching you going like hey like would you like to take on this role um we got like um there's like Olympic Unleash program that's out and we go out to schools um you know past Olympians and then all Olympians that have retired and then Olympians that are you know still going through their journey and and you get to go out to schools and um, tell your story and hang out with the kids. And I think it just gives you that buzz again of, of, of being an Olympian. Really, you just go out there and go, oh, this is cool. This is what I miss, you know. Um, you know, and seeing kids' faces is, you know, the biggest smiles on their faces. And, you know, they probably don't even know who you are or you know, anything like that. But, it's you know, we're there to inspire, inspire young kids and hopefully who can be Olympians later on you know it's um that it's i wouldn't say there's like a olympian club thing but we do love to get together and um share the same stories the ups and downs the roadmaps that we like use and the speed bumps and um it's it's a it's a special feeling it's hard to say um you know like when the olympics are on you're texting all your olympic mates and you're just going oh did you see that how cool was that and they give you a you're watching out the ceremony that night and it just gives you cold shivers because you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you chose, you chose a good one for boxing to, to then tune yeah. in with what Harry did, obviously, kind of breaking yeah, the and, drought. So. <laughs> and that's, that's unbelievable what he's done. He, and I don't think he – I hope he realises how – what he's done for amateur boxing. It's not that he's just won a bronze medal, but he's – the funding that he's going to get to help these young athletes you know, and to help them for the next three Olympics and Brisbane's included in that. So um, hopefully we get some more medals and and that's what we wanted to do. And he, he was able to do it, which was which excellent. 
Which what I found working at the Commonwealth Games and, and getting to, to know some of these athletes, I was obviously very familiar with Harry having won the gold on the Gold Coast, someone like Sky Nicholson, you know, even witnessing um, Caitlin Parker's sort of journey at, at, and, and seeing that emotion of her not winning the gold just like right there in front of me, like come off the mat and there she is just breaking down and just seeing what it means to these athletes and the emotion. And then obviously we saw that with Sky sort of, uh, you know, losing in, in Tokyo. It, it's just those moments for a sport like boxing, which some people might just go, it's just pun- it's just people punching each other. That's all it is. But there's so, like with every sport at the Olympics, there's so mm. much more to it around those journeys. And, and Harry and Sky, like they were two of the faces of the Olympics, I think, based on mm. kind of, you know, one's success and, and one's kind of tragedy. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's amazing how certain things like that can really put people onto a sport. Yeah, you've got, um, what is it? You've got nine minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Nine minutes for the male. I don't. I think the girls did. They might. I don't know if they do three three. They might do three three. Um, but you got nine minutes, and if you don't peak at the right time or put in that performance, it's a sport where you, we don't have a we don't have teammates. Mm. So if we're having a bad day and we're playing rugby nines or we're playing the hockey, and you have a bad day, you got the rest of your team to pick you up and hopefully cover you. We're here. You know, we got nine minutes. We've got three minutes in the ring trying to work out another opponent and hopefully we've done our homework on them with videos that we've seen or tournaments that we've brought each other at. And then you've got that one minute with your coach to try to come up with another plan if that plan's not working. Uh, the highs and lows of boxing is it's pretty shit. You're, gonna, you're on a roller coaster ride all the time. Uh, but the best thing about it is it's addictive and, you know, you you got to get out there and you, you've got to want to win and you've got to want to do it because if you don't want to do it, then you're going to get hurt in the boxing ring as well. And, and the best um, thing too, isn't it, if, what, if you've got an opponent that's pissing you off, you're allowed to punch them. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so if you don't <laughs> like him at other tournaments, yeah, you can, you know, give it to him and um, and stuff like that. So, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a tough sport, you know, and you've got to watch your weight and watch what you're eating and... Um, you know, your fluid intake and then, you know, and the, the toughest thing is like what Harry and all that had to do was they fight, they have a rest day and then they got to fight again. So you've got to keep that weight for two weeks. Mm. Um, and it can be pretty, it's, it's tough, you know, like you've got a dining hall that's the size of two football fields and you can eat whatever the hell you want. It might have Maccas in it, might have, you know, and it's all free, you know, yeah. ice creams, um, you name it, it's got it in there. It's um, unbelievable, and um, you know it, it is a tough sport. Is that is that a positive of going out in the first round in the Olympics that you can kind of just have a couple of weeks off in the village and just binge all the oh, macas and the ice cream? Mate, it, was, it was okay for me because oh, you know we were allowed to stay at the village for the two weeks, so I feel sorry for these Tokyo uh, athletes where they had to leave within the first oh, forty eight hours to get back in the quarantine. Um, I don't, I don't believe that I would, be, would have been able to do quarantine. I think it would have been um, a very hard thing to do. And I think the support of like how, what Australians did for them and doing their best to, to cheer them up. Like I, I felt for Sky Nicholson, who was like a favourite to win a medal. And then for her to leave the village and then to sit in hotel quarantine by herself. Um, yeah, it's pretty tough, I think. Um, you know, always thinking oh, I could have done better. The judges probably ripped me off. Um, but the best thing about it only makes them stronger. She's hungrier now. She's only got three more years till 
till Paris and then she got one more year till Birmingham at the yep. Commonwealth Games and she could double up and win a gold medal. Uh, mate, I think her boxing's so good. I like watching her fight and, um, you know, she might have to change a few things, but what she's done for female boxing is unbelievable. Her and Caitlin, um, you know, and, and that team at the Commonwealth Games in 2018. Uh, women's boxing's on the rise and, you know, and this that hasn't been just from this year. This has been a long time coming. Um, some of the girls overseas are unbelievable and to have Caitlin up there, to have Sky up there um, in that top, you could probably say top five is, is, is good and you just got to be hungry and stay up there. Which, I mean, one of the many unique aspects of boxing too, it's it's that moment when you're you're at the end and and you're waiting to be declared the winner and like particularly when you're so confident that you haven't and then just that that low that comes when your your arms aren't getting raised. I mean, it's not like a game of of rugby where you know the clock runs out and you haven't got the, the points on the board. You, you, you're not yeah. going to lose. I mean, it's just such the emotional aspect of it too. I can imagine standing there thinking you've won and then fuck no, I haven't won. Well, yeah, you had to just look at Sky's fight. You know, yeah. I thought that she won. She fought. She won. And probably all of Australia fought. She won. And yep. it went on to, you know, the, the English lady and uh, she ended up walking away with a silver medal, the English lady, and that could have been Sky. Um, yeah. I think I think that would piss me off more <laughs> would be if someone went on to, to win that gold. Um, that happened to me at the Commonwealth Games in 06, you know, and um, I was favourite to win a gold medal there and Don Broadus was the other favourite and we drew each other in the second round. Um, and... You know, you get shitty about it, but me and him, are, we're very good mates now. He ended up coming out here to Australia to train, and I remember the first sparring session, we had a sparring session. We were club mates. He wanted to train out of our gym, and we punched shit out of each other for six rounds. It was just like a thing to just say, yep, right <laughs> clean slate now, all good. Yep. You got me at the games, but, yeah, I just had to get you back then. <laughs> wow, wow. Which, I mean, what was that experience like? I mean, obviously, a Commonwealth Games isn't an Olympics, but it's still a, a home Commonwealth Games. So, I mean, again, you know, experiences around that, stepping out on, onto that mat with the home crowd in, in, in your corner. I mean, you know, what was that like? Yeah, the, oh, the, I was pretty lucky. So, yeah, the Sydney Olympics and Melbourne Commonwealth Games being a home one. And um, yeah, it's just that buzz. It's just the same feeling everywhere, meeting the same, not the same athlete, new sports come in, but you just, you're still hanging around the best of the best in Australia. Um, and with that, that's, and like I said, you're walking around hitting the streets and um, people want to say hello, take photos and things like that. And, and um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Was there opportunity to go to Beijing? Did you sort of continue after that and try and try and qualify to sort of go yeah, to the third? Yeah, I end up, yeah, well, I wanted to be the first Aussie boxer to do three Olympics and um, what happened I was at the qualifications, uh, the first round of qualifications, um, and I had a, um, it was pretty funny. I made weight pretty easy in October, November, I mean, November was the Australian title, which was one of the qualifiers that I needed to win to go to the Oceanas, and I was sitting there and um, wasn't feeling too good. I struggled to make weight there, but. I don't know why I struggled to make weight at the Aussie titles, but yeah, end up having a um, inflammation on the heart, and that was uh, called a something they call peri pericarditis or something like that. 
And um, yeah, I got rushed to hospital the night, the night, uh, the day before I had the fight actually. And um, wow. I got ruled out of the uh, the Beijing games there. And um, I put a application into um, to challenge the the winner of that. And um, as I was training for it, the um, the heart still wasn't. I was still getting them symptoms where it's just yeah, feel a bit shitty and. Um, yeah, your beat would um, go out of whack a little bit. So I ended up, uh, yeah, pulling out of that. And then that was sort of, you know, waited another couple of years and then I turned professional in 2012. How does that decision come about then? Is it just a case of now's the time to turn pro, kind of, you know, make, make some money out of this? Or is it kind of like realistically I'm not going to be able to compete? Like what decision goes through a boxer's mind to turn pro? I didn't really want to do it for the money. I just wanted to feel the different experiences, really. It was, um, you know, I didn't make any money out of being a professional. Um, just a different atmosphere, I guess. Walking in that ring alone again. Um, like I said, it's a lonely, lonely sport. And what else, you know, that you just to, to just train, really, like that excitement of the the training the ups and downs and why am i doing it for and you know but it was a bit different you had a 12-week training camp and then you fight and have a rest and you can go again if you want and um but the atmosphere wasn't it was the atmosphere was always the same but just a little bit different not wearing a headgear or not wearing um you know a singlet like you would at the commonwealth uh, at the olympics or commonwealth games does it make much difference, like being shirtless versus wearing a single? Like, is it more freeing? Like, can you kind of get into oh, it a bit more? Or I, I think I'd, I'd probably prefer to wear a singlet, um, just something on. But uh, just a little bit, it's just a little bit different with no headgear, really. It's, you know, you just got to be careful you don't clash heads or, um, you know, the gloves are different, the gloves are smaller. Um, you know, the bandages back then were different. Um, you could, you know, strap and tape and stuff like that to bulk them up a little bit. And given um, it's longer, I can imagine the endurance is a little bit more important in professional rather than the amateur. Yeah, it's totally different. So you've got to just slow down with your technique as well and um, build it up and try to peak at the right time as like in rounds. Like what do you want? Like say you're doing a 10 round that you probably want to go hard for four rounds or something, have a round off and then try to come back and go again, slowly build it up. But work on it like as an amateur, you our scoring was totally different to, you know, the Com Games in 2018 or the Olympics, the last couple of them, where it was, like, fast. In and out, scoring was really high. Like, you know, like I think my Olympic game won at Athens, the score was, like, 34-18. Mm. Like, you wouldn't see that now. It's like a 10-9 system, um, like they do in the professionals. Which, if I'm not mistaken, you tried after the professional you tried to then come back to the commonwealth games in 2018 did you not so how does you mentioned before that the rules sort of change that you can kind of go back to amateur so kind of how does that work and, and how close did you come to making the commonwealth games in 2018 well, I, so i've put in once i heard in rio that you could come back i sort of had a thought about it and went oh right i, I only had two weeks to um sort of hurry up so i you know went to i i all I had to do was really write a declaration to Queensland Boxing, the amateur, like Boxing Queensland, um, and I got approved. Um, and I had less than 10 professional fights, which was one of the things as well. Um, I had two weeks of training, and I went to the Queensland State title and ended up winning that. 
Um, and then that I w- wanted to win that or come first, uh, first or second, win, you know, make the final. I made the final, and that was going to give me an extra four or five weeks of training so I could go to the Australian title in Sydney. Um, and that was the last qualification for the Commonwealth Games. And I, um, what happened was I ended up making the Queensland team. We went down to Sydney, and when I was about to fight, there was a little bit of a little bit of shit going on before it because they were saying, no, nah, you won't be able to fight. And I remember when I went to my first, the first weigh-in, they didn't have my name down on the registration. And I said, well, I'm here to fight. I've done everything right. I want to weigh in. And I said, yep, right. So I weighed in. You know, the draw come out. And I remember going upstairs and it was the night of the fight and um, I was probably about midway through, like they had the women's boxing first and I was on. And then I remember I was about to I had my hand wraps on and I was about to go down to get gloved up. And when I went down there, a guy from combat sport might have come in and he said, no, nah, Brad, we're, um, you're not allowed to fight. And I said, well, that's wrong because we're allowed and we've done everything right. He goes, oh, let me just put in, put you last out and we'll sort it all out. I said, yeah, sweet. Um, I think they put me last out so I couldn't protest. Wow. Um, and I wasn't let, I wasn't able to fight. They, um, yeah, I got um, disqualified from the whole thing. For what, though? Like, what was the reason? Uh, the rule, they had a rule where in New South Wales, they had a rule where um, New South Wales had a different rule to Queensland where um, professional athletes weren't allowed to uh, go back to amateurs, which was wrong because um, Iava, who run the whole boxing internationally brought this rule in where you could. So I don't know how a state in New South Wales could um, disqualify you from or overrule an international rule. Because it sounds like if, if the qualifying tournament then was still in Queensland that it wouldn't be a problem. Or Victoria yeah, know, or Tasmania was, yeah, where um, maybe it's recognised or something. Yeah, Victoria and South Australia I was fine. Um, you know, it's is what it was. I left it at that. Um, so you couldn't protest or there wasn't sort of oh, grounds they, of appeal? They, they put me in, you know, last. So, you know, if, if I was had to fight when I had to fight, when I was on the schedule, I would have got the whole Queensland boxing team in there and we would have sat in the ring until something happened. Yeah. Um, but they made me last and um, I thought they were going to do the right thing and let me fight, which they didn't. And um, I just left it at that. And actually, I wasn't really too worried you know it's is what it is and um you know i was lucky enough to you know that year i had my um my son so you know that was a whole new life anyway changing anyway for me and was that then was that the end you hung up the gloves after that or are you still kind of going is there potential for oh, more no, comebacks? I, <laughs> I, yeah i've had more comebacks than johnny farnham so <laughs> um but no i was supposed to fight this year in june I ended up, uh, went back to professional um, and um, challenged the uh, the Australian title holder, uh, Mark Sleeves, down at Melbourne. And, um, you know, I was training for that. And I did a whole training camp, 12 weeks, hard, strict diet, strict everything. I got back down to weight where I was when I was an athlete myself, like a, a full-time athlete. And then uh, COVID hit, um, which cancelled that. And ever since then, yeah, haven't been into a boxing gym. 
Well, just, there's still um, time for Paris Brad to break that record of three-time yeah, yeah. Olympian. Come on, like three yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, I know. But no, after seeing him at Tokyo, mate, there's some good skill going around. Um, you know, I think my time's done. And like I said, I'm a, a proud, prouder Olympian of what I'm doing now with the community than what I was um, actually being an athlete. So. You've been, speaking of being proud, very proud sort of Indigenous athlete, kind of, you know, everything along those lines. What, what's that? like seeing Paddy Mills carry that flag out, you know, the first Australian Indigenous athlete to, to carry that flag kind of just, I mean, is that a, a very special moment that kind of see that we've come that far now that, you know, this is something that can be finally bestowed, something that should have been probably done a very long time ago? Uh, I think how they picked him or when they picked him, I thought that was the smartest thing or and the, and the proudest moment, like what he's done for Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander athletes, or not even athletes, just community. He's an inspiration. He's a role model. Um, and to see him walk out there and being the first Indigenous, you know, um, flag bearer was pretty special. And, you know, I've heard some stories. You, you know, we I'm on a, a, the Olympic uh, Indigenous Advisory Committee. And with that, we, um, you know, we did so much behind the scenes for the village. You know, there was Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art in the village. The first time that's ever happened. There was a map of a, of Australia with all the different tribes and that, and athletes would go up and, and put a pin there and say, hey, I'm from this land. Uh, instead of like it being like Newcastle, it's got a land, you know, or Kempsey where I'm from down New South Wales and say, no, I'm Dungutty mob, you know. Um, stuff like that, you know, a shirt. I've never had a shirt at the Olympics that's been Indigenous design, and that was mm. from Paul Fleming, who was a boxer in OA. Um, you know, there was a towel, there was uh, a bandana for your head that Paddy still wears around now. Um, the flags, the three flags hanging up. We've never been allowed to have flags hanging up like an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander flag in the village. Um, all these little things is a big step forward. Um you know, and, and I remember someone was telling me, Cole Vancott, we had a, you know, the hurdler that's, um, you know, from Sydney, Atlanta. Um, he was our, like a, lia- not a liaison, also like a uh, Indigenous, um, he was an, the athlete in there where if there was any young Indigenous or to learn a bit more about our culture or for our mob to, to feel a lot comfortable in there and he was the man to go see or speak to you know just to feel that you're at home and he was telling me that patty the boomers were supposed to get in at eight o'clock that night and at night into the um the village and they were all wrecks they come from la uh, from vegas and they were wrecked and um he and they end up getting in once they pass security once they pass all their covid stuff and paperwork and stuff like that um Kyle ended up waiting up for him and they got in at 2 a.m wow and then patty said he's, he's wrecked but patty pulled him aside he goes mate i'll go through that a hundred times more because of what i've just seen in the village and that was the aboriginal art the indigenous the aboriginal art the Torres Strait Islander art um the map of australia the the flags it was bringing a nation together and that's something that we haven't had, you know, you, you know, we've seen it with the Matildas they yeah. having the, the flag out there. It's, you know, that wasn't just because of Sam Kerr, that was because she's supporting her indigenous 
um, teammates, and they're all proud. And I think it's a big step forward. Yeah, um, you know, the, the the skateboarders didn't have a uniform or a skating uniform, and they went up and asked Cole, or because he was our, you know, the indigenous. Can't think of the word, but um, the the officer sort of thing there, and they said, um, like that was that young Poppy and a couple of the, the guy, the young fellow who won gold, and they didn't have like a proper uniform, but they asked if they could wear the indigenous shirt. Like, mate, that that stuff there just gives you chills. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, a big step forward, and uh, we hope we can see more Olympics to come and um, things like that. Come a long, long way since uh, yeah, we 1994 have. when Kathy Freeman gets ripped a new one for carrying the yeah. flag at the uh, the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Like, that's um, that's incredible to kind of hear that. Which I mean, do you then hope like when you go to the schools and you're kind of involved in what you're doing, do you sort of use that as kind of like a message and kind of to, like talk a lot more about sort of you know what it means to be an Indigenous athlete and maybe if you have got some Indigenous children at the school that that can kind of spur them on a little bit too. Yeah, 100% with that. And, you know, they've, they've got to be comfortable to leave their, their country or wherever they're from, like their mob. Um, but there's only 60 Indigenous known Olympians out of 4,400, I'm guessing. Of, I'm wow. not sure, you know, the numbers were about 400 and something that went to, to Tokyo, but there's only 60 known Indigenous Olympians out of there. Wow. So it's not a very big number. So, you know, we've got to do that job now to inspire younger Indigenous athletes or you know kids to to make a games and be proud of who they are and patty's certainly done that you know what he's done to that boomers culture is unbelievable you know he, he started this thing where they're getting all the old boomers together and um present them with a hat you yeah. know um and their number and bringing back the old school shirts and and mixing together like that there's just you know that's that, that's it's pretty awesome to see that what he's doing there is um you know just trying to work with everyone together and he's he's done that with the boomers and it kind of it's great to see that in any sport when they're able to do that um because i i mean i don't know if this is true or not but i know obviously like the Australian cricket team had done that for a while. And then you're seeing that with so like, I saw so many Olympians, like the hockey roos, the kookaburras would be saying like hockey roo number 127. And like, I, I just love kind of seeing that. And it's kind of great that Paddy's able to do that because we all remember, you know, Andrew Gaze's emotional speech and kind of talking about that culture and what it means. And it's just, it's great to be able to see kind of a sport bond together and, and, you know, the moment of winning a bronze, but mixed with everything that kind of Paddy's obviously, you know, yeah, really spurring. Yeah, and Patty, and the best thing about the his whole teammates were on board with it, you mm. know, not one didn't want to, and and that's pretty cool, you know, and um, yeah, Patty's done a lot. He, he probably don't realise how much he's done, but you know, like even him now, he's up there at Torres Strait visiting family, he's doing his tour, he's seeing his family, his mob, just trying to. Someone it's on. very popular. You I've know. seen him on social media. He's, he's yeah. you know, very popular up there. <laughs> well, mate, it's, you know, and, and that's from a small little community up there. And yeah. to be, you know, he's living in the US. He's playing in the NBA. Um, probably well, one of the biggest. Another championship, right? Just join the Nets. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, so you know, another ring, and um, you know, but he, he's done awesome. He's, you know, like you've got. A lot. I was I was pretty lucky as being an athlete. I had Kathy, I had Nova Paris, I had Cole Van Kite, I had Patrick Johnson, who I always looked up to, and I tell them all the time. I see Cole and I go, mate, I just you know, I still get starstruck just sitting there talking to him. Mm. And you know, we come up ways of 
how we can inspire younger Indigenous athletes or younger Indigenous kids and just give them a go. We're going to close off with a series of sort of fun get-to-know questions in just a sec, Brad, but but, just on that topic, staring behind you right now, amazing piece of artwork of yours. I mean, I'd love to learn a little bit more about kind of what got you into the, to the art, art side of things and, and tell tell our listeners about sort of where, where can they check this out and, and sort of, you know, help support the great art that you're producing. Yeah. I've got an art page now, website, just uh, bradhawart.com.au. And, um, you know, the piece behind me is um, something that I've called uh, sports support. And, you know, that's your closest, uh, Nick group that people don't really know about behind you and um, you know your ups and downs that's all the tracks that are going through there and um, yeah allied health helping you your physios your doctors uh, all stuff that you don't see behind the scenes and that's what that um, painting is there and I've done some face masks and Paddy Mills was wearing one of them in in the village so I was shocked that he had one of them on in the village Great. Um, you know it's you know, I've done some some art, and the only reason why I did that was because I lost my father um, two years ago. And um, yeah, no, I came home. I came home um, when COVID first hit, and brought home about four canvases. And you know, walked outside, and remember my partner sitting there, and she just said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just about to um, you know, start some painting," and everyone sort of laughed and <laughs> just sort of took off. Um, you know, now it's something that I like doing, and uh, she's a big supporter of it, you know, and she's helped me through a lot with my sports and, and everything like that, and especially the outside of things as well. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful to, to have her by my side and and to um, sort of just another little journey, really. She's there, she's a supporter, and she's always has been a supporter, and, um, yeah, I'm very lucky. And is it something that kind of moving forward you just – it takes over a little bit more. The inspiration kind of hits, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and kind of the more and more you do it, the more and more you, you love it and, and hope to, I don't know, like kind of what do you hope to kind of get out of it moving forward? Well, I'd love to design some jerseys for some, you know, um, football teams or anything like that. Um, you know, I've done a couple of Olympic paintings now, which is like my my sort of stuff. I've got a, one where I've got one of the 52 Indigenous known Olympians before, you know, the, you know I did that before. Um, Oh, I didn't do it before, but that was before, you know, the last Olympic started, Tokyo, where we've now gone up to 60. But, um, you know, that, I did a painting there of the Brisbane Olympic game, uh, Brisbane 32, 2032, and it's just something that I like to do, and it relaxes me. It's good for my mental health, and, um, you know, I like to do a couple of hours a day if I can, but, um, you know, right. some days I could be, on a, on a Saturday, I could be there all day. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I've got to say, you, you talked about sort of when the Olympics are on, for watching Tokyo, getting back into it, kind of that. We're obviously very close to, to Beijing. Are you, are you a winter fan? Is it something you can get behind? And have there, actually, I don't know if you know this, but have there ever been any Indigenous winter athletes at all? That you know? Yeah, we've, we've had one. Um, that was 2018. Uh, not sure where that was. Um, yeah, like I've even had the thought in my head, like, like if that first Indigenous Olympian wasn't there for the winter games, I was thinking about, throwing something on and yeah. giving it a go just to, you know, I wouldn't, I reckon I'd be all right at curling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll join you, Brad. Cause I, look, <laughs> I tell you what, I want to be the first Tasmanian winter Olympian. So Hey, you can yeah. be, Oh I really? Mean, there you go. Haven't broken it, but like you'd be the second and I could be the first Tasmanian. It's like creating history in curling. Yeah. There you go. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> throw me on one of them broom things and I'll just sweep. I'll probably fall over a few times, but um, 
you know, I'll get, I'll get me on the broom. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've got a yeah, pair of Tali and Dean. They're on the cuff, so they, they might beat us to it, unfortunately. But they're, yeah, they're on the cusp uh, of qualifying for Beijing. Oh, oh good. Um, and, you know, that's not too far away too. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be there watching as much as I can, like I do with uh, any sports or any Olympics. And, um, you know, you know, I met the boys that were the bobsled team, right. uh, the last one, and make great bunch of guys. Yeah, for sure. We've we've had a we've had several of the bobsled girls on, uh, sort of in the lead up to Beijing, and they're they're some of our favourite guests. They always uh, produce some great interviews, so we're we're very much cheering uh, everyone on, not only the bobsled but for the winters in Beijing coming up. Mm-hmm. Now, Brad, we wrap up our interview series of sort of get to know you questions. Now, as we always say in these, they're uh, based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately they never quizzed a boxer, at least that they published. So I've gone with a wrestler. I've gone combat sport. It's kind okay. of, it's on the same page. So yep. you are allowed to answer yourself for any of these. Um, otherwise these are maybe the easiest and dumbest questions you'll ever get asked. Okay. Your favorite ever Olympic moment is. Uh, um, it have to be Kathy Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember that day pretty good i was in the dining hall and um at sydney and everyone was cheering that day um and that was loud i couldn't get tickets to go watch it but i remember being in the dining hall and just watching it on the big screen there that and um you know there was a couple from tokyo olympics you know logan the the bmx rider logan martin um i thought that was pretty cool what he did um and you know harry harry garth yeah. that's a good one you know just some just proud of, but the the number one out of that was Kathy. You know what she had to go through at the Sydney Olympics. She had the whole world up against her in Australia, and um, everyone cheering her on. So yeah, and you were in that stadium too then when she lit the cauldron. So that must have been yeah, pretty well, yeah. experience no, too. I had some photos before we even um, before she snuck off to light it because we didn't know who was lighting it. So right. you know, so yeah. Because I remember actually during the opening ceremony, like they kept showing her on the screen, like waving and kind of, you know, that was when everybody didn't know yeah. who was lighting it right. So when she emerges, it's like, wait a minute. She was just yeah, like, was just how there. did she get changed? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, she got changed pretty quick and, and snuck up the back door and, yeah, and then, yeah, got the, the flame got stuck halfway up too. Yeah. <laughs> what were you guys thinking when you're watching that? Like, because I remember watching it as like I think we all thought like this is part of the show, but were you guys all like they're going? This doesn't feel right. Something's yeah, wrong. Oh, just work, just work. Oh, it's back again. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Oh, nah. There's nothing. Nothing beats a home Olympics, but um, yeah, that's a tough one. Anywhere in, in the world, I'd like to see one in Germany. I didn't mind Germany. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, Germany was a good place to train and uh, things like that. But, um, you know, we've got Brisbane coming up here, so Brisbane's going to be the best Olympics going around since 2000. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're pretty lucky. It's all right if, if Sydney gets beaten by Brisbane. Like, I mean, Sydney wouldn't like that with the Queensland New South Wales nah, rivalry, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. Australians get beaten by an Australian, right? Um, in your spare time, I mean, this might be something we just talked about. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? Oh, it's chilling out. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a homebody. Um, you know, mucking around a little fella, being family. Uh, you know, I play lawn bowls as well. Wow. Uh, painting, yeah, so... Um, 
just something to keep my mind off things. You know, my head races a fair bit. So, yeah, I like trying. I was going to say lawn bowls. There's your, there's your Commonwealth Games ticket yeah, back well, if you want I, to return. Yeah, I used to play lawn bowls just to keep my head um, away from the boxing side of things, just to think more and, yeah. That's a story. See, that, that I want to see that, Brad. I want to see you, like, you know, I don't know if Birmingham's possible, but 2026, 20, 2030, 20, the boxer into a lawn bowl. Like, I mean, that's oh, got to be the first time ever done that. There's <laughs> some good lawn bowlers here. I've been playing for a little while now, and there's some some good old fellas out there. Uh, <laughs> they're pretty good. Um, you know, I've won a pennant for a club at first division, but, um, right. I, I, you know, that's that's pretty, pretty good, but, oh, I don't know about making the Australian side. Them guys are pretty good. Well, there's whispers that the 2026 Com Games haven't been awarded yet, and there's whispers that Sydney might be throwing in a sneaky bid. So, oh, really? Uh, there you just, go. Uh, there's a bit of inspiration for you. Five years away, <laughs> home Commonwealth Games again. Um, yeah. The weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was hit him in the ball. <laughs> <laughs> is that something you then follow or <laughs> um it was a well it's funny like yeah if someone's pressuring you all the time and pushing you backwards and um you know you get a warning first so just doing what the coach said <laughs> so, so it's not an instant disqualification if you just go no nah, the... not no nah, not if you're the sneaky one but yeah you can get <laughs> you get pulled up you get a you get a uh, a warning what is but, a yeah. sneaky nut shot? How does that go oh, sneaky? Sneaky nut. Yeah, just don't load up too much and just a little, yeah, little <laughs> sneaky nut shot will <laughs> get him. I mean, look, if you're going to get disqualified and you just want to go full tilt with the balls, just Yeah, like... if you're losing, you might as well just go full tilt. Screw it. But, yeah, yeah. But, yeah You'll go you viral. A, yeah, if you, need a, if you need a rest from from him pushing you back all the time and you get inside, just a little, sneaky little nut shot. <laughs> you're you're not winning the next bout. You're 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 <laughs> yeah. retiring hurt from the next one. Yeah. Screw you, mate. Um, <laughs> your favourite workout is oh, none of them really. Um, <laughs> That's an answer. You can answer. Yeah, no, I don't mind running. Yeah, you know, once I get up to a good fitness where I can run, but yeah, the running, um, the five k runs, you know, it's just nice, relaxing sometimes. Was, it, was there any agility but... like Harry, like the ballet or anything like that? Or... No, I didn't do any ballet. Um, but, yeah, warm-up was pretty very competitive in the boxing, um, my boxing teams. We used to play a game of soccer, indoor soccer, and oh, mate, that some of them games were pretty brutal. <laughs> um, we wouldn't hold back and none of us could play, but, um, <laughs> yeah, they used to get pretty fiery. Fun, fun. I, I, yeah, I don't think I'd ever want to challenge a boxer to any form of competitive yeah. sport. I just I, I don't know how I'd go with that. Um if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Any one person. Hmm. That's a good one. If I wanted to have lunch with someone, it'd probably Michael Phelps. Yeah. There's a good one. He, he's just an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Um what he's done in the pool. I'd just like to sit there and just listen and his motivation to keep going. I don't know why you're so greedy winning that many medals, but um, <laughs> yeah, some people just want one, good. like yeah, twenty odd. Did you did you see him in the village in Athens? Like, do you kind of? Oh do a bit yeah, you've seen him a little bit, but not not like um, you know. I think back then, like if it was now and you had your phone and that, be a little bit different than trying to go up there and get an autograph. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, phone might have been different. Just quick selfie or something. Yeah. Which is, it's always interesting, um, you know, hearing some of the stories about who you're bumping into and, and kind of all that sort of stuff. Um, 
Because, yeah, it must be unique. I mean, Michael Phelps, obviously, it's kind of what he's known for the Olympics, but you, you think of someone like a Patty Mills who, you know, like arguably is probably more famous in the US as an NBA player and kind of the Olympics is just a bonus of what he gets to do. So it's kind of yeah, – well, there's an extra level of superstardom, right, isn't there? Yeah, well, I still haven't met Patty yet. So um, oh, I, I, that's a lie because I was at the AOS with him, but he wasn't as big as what he was then, you know, and he was a shy boy and, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't really – Talk too much to the basketballers back then, and um, but yeah, I, I felt would be just what he's done. I just like to sit there, just how he's how, and then come yeah. back, have some time off, and come back, and then win a couple more goals. <laughs> yeah, just you know, he'll probably surprise everyone. Come back for Paris and win like another yeah. five. And like, All right, mate, just calm down, share, share yeah. some around. At least Tokyo, a few more people got some medals, Michael. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, probably invisible. Nice. Just that would work well in just, boxing. Yeah, that as well, yeah. And just so I could hide from people, you know. Sometimes I just get a bit over it. Sometimes I'd like to just hide and, um, yep. yeah, probably that. I like that one. Uh, the best candy in the world is? Can I say chocolate? Of course you it's can. It's not candy, but um, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big chocoholic. Um, you know, I love my chocolate. Um, do you have a particular favourite? Like, is there oh, a go-to? Plain, plain Cadbury's will do. I just yep. like that out of the fridge, and I'd probably eat chocolate nearly every day. I, I at the moment live about a five-minute drive from the Cadbury factory here in Tasmania. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm, when I'm down Sa- in Tasmania, I'm coming down to visit you, and we'll go there. Do it. You, you can't do tours of it anymore, but I think they might still have access to the shop because the best part of the tour was you got access to the shop, and the shop was mm. where, like, all the broken bits they couldn't sell in, in supermarkets were there. So you'd be able to buy like a, a, you know, a five kilo box of dairy milk for like 10 bucks. Oh, um, just yeah. things like that. Uh, it was pretty yeah. epic. So. That's me. Yeah, I need that. Yeah. <laughs> Reasons to come to Tasmania. Um, as a kid, your favourite sports team was? Um, I was a Western Suburbs Magpie uh, supporter, the footy, NRL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just grew up with... Um, Mum and dad supporting them, and now I'm a West Tigers because they merge. But um, yeah, that was that was my team, uh, still is. But yeah, do you do? I mean, I always like to hear this from people from from Sydney in particular. Do you pay attention to like the AFL, the Swans, or now the Giants? I or do. Just, if they're in yeah. the finals, or you just... no, I watch a lot of. I watch any sport really. You know, like on a weekend, I will wake up here at you know about five o'clock and I will watch the darts or four o'clock or take the darts and watch it. Um, so I can watch anything I'm, you know, I was even watching the, um, I don't know what the sport's called over in America, but the, the, the sack thing where they throw. And oh, NFL? Like American football? No, no, the, the, like a, a sack thing and they throw it on a bit of wood. Oh, corn, um, cornhole oh, yeah, cornhole, cornhole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I was watching that the other day. Yeah. I don't mind watching it. Just Why like, not? <laughs> just I don't know how they get their crowds, but you're just watching this because this is unbelievable. It's, They're just sitting it's, back, watching, sinking a beer and just throwing some sacks. It's, um, yeah, I heard sacks, I'm thinking NFL, but like, I, I don't know if you've been to like a, an American football game and they have the whole sort of uh, tailgating culture and then you're drinking and you're playing cornhole yeah. while you're getting ready to go and watch a game. It's, um, it's a unique culture, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I can watch anything or well, whatever. I've got Foxtel and everything like that. So I'll watch up at stupid hours and watch stupid sports. Great. That's um, what I like yeah, to hear. Anything. <laughs> well, on that, what's your favourite sports movie? Uh, Remember the Titans. Nice. Nice. Um, Good movie. You know, just how the 
the um, they they both come together, um, you know, and then you know working together after you know a whole divide of racism and stuff like that, and to to win a championship. So um, that was pretty cool. I you know I I probably know nearly all the words to it, but yeah, I, I love right. that movie. Got to ask a cliche. What's your favorite boxing movie? Uh, favorite boxing movie would be The Hurricane. Nice, good choice. It's, yeah, it's kind of. Uh, I would like to find out with our athletes. Like you know, often we get athletes where there's not a genuine movie on it, but I mean, boxing's probably the one sport where there's probably more movies than any sport. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, you got your Rockies and that, but I just love the story of the Hurricane as well, and um, being locked up for a crime that he didn't do, and and mm-hmm. how he got out, and they gave him back the WBC world title. Um, when he got released, the if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, anywhere in the world, I didn't really like too many places overseas, only because I love home. Um, you know, I, I love Darwin, but anywhere in the world, I'd probably move to Canada, even though I haven't been there. Nice, just, nice. I, I think it, it looks pretty relaxing. It looks they're pretty similar to us, and um, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Not the cold bit of Canada, but yeah. Well, I just returned. I was living there until earlier this year. I lived in in Victoria and BC, which is kind of you know the Queensland of Canada. So it's uh, yeah. not too bad. And we we did get two snow days, but it's rare. I get can told it never snows in Victoria, even though it got two dumps. But um, yeah, that's where I think people go in Canada when they don't want to face the rest of the country's cold. So yeah, right. Well, I'll go there. That sounds yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were little, what was one thing you always thought? That I always thought. Yeah. Oh, when I was little, that's a tough one. I always thought, um, like it, that's something that wasn't true sometimes. Or look, it could be. I'll get. I mean, the example here that I can give you. So this athlete that we're looking here is uh, Jasmine Yarn, a Canadian wrestler. Her answer, she says. Everyone had an identical twin living somewhere in the world. Anytime I was out in public, places like the mall, I was keeping my eyes open for my long-lost twin. Uh, no, I wouldn't think that, but... Um... Oh, that's that's a, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really know what I thought back then. I'll give, you, I'll give you an answer that I always like. It was when people say, I'm hungry. As a kid, you always thought you were hungry. Yeah, well, that's like my little boy now. He's always hungry. He comes home from daycare and he eats us all out. And we just go, dude, are they feeding him at, at daycare? But no, they are. That's <laughs> but, good. That's good. Now, this is another one. That, to end this, this is one that you've either got, you, you've got to go to, or you might not be able to answer. Your favourite joke to tell is? Oh, I don't mind the old dad jokes. Um you know, at the moment I've got one is um, how did the butcher introduce his wife? How? Tell me. Meet Patty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stupid wow. jokes, but I just love that. They're I good, love dad jokes. Yeah, I, I love it. Listen to the radio and listen to dad jokes, you know, but probably some ruder <laughs> ones, but, yeah, just the, the plain stupid dad jokes. The one I heard recently was I like telling dad jokes. He laughs a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, <see. laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. Great way to end it, Brad. Uh, I mean, you mentioned your website for, for art. If, if people want to follow you, social media or anything else that you want to want to plug with and check you out. Yeah, just, just check. You can jump on my Facebook too. It's just uh, Brad Hall Art. Um, but, yeah, the website's bradhallart.com.au. Uh, uh, there is an Instagram page as well. So, yeah, you either jump on my personal page or uh, the art page. It's all good. 
Fantastic. Brad, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, mate. So so much fun learning about your, your journey and just everything else in between. And I, I'm, I'm saying this, I, I'm seeing you, 2026 Commonwealth Games, Lawn Bowls. <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, you and I will be on the 2026 uh, Olympic curling team. How about that? There you go, mate. Let's keep training. I might have to come down there to get on some ice, but um, we'll work <laughs> it out, mate. But thanks for having us and um, hope to take care down there, matey, and um, stay safe. <laughs> And a massive thanks to Brad there for his time. Just uh, a pleasure to learn about that journey. And wow, Sydney, I can't even imagine what it's like to experience the highs of an opening ceremony knowing that you're not actually there to compete anymore, that you've been disqualified that morning for being, uh, as he said, probably the weight of a a stuffed kangaroo over and therefore you were not allowed to compete. Such a... such an incredible story and I really appreciate Brad for his time and check out his artwork it really is fantastic it is uh, really uh, great what he is doing out there and I uh, highly recommend checking him out and checking all the great art that he is doing so uh, hit up and you will be able to see it in the meantime we have got plenty more to come as always I close off all of these episodes by saying we've got so many great episodes and interviews coming your way stay up to date by searching for Off the Podium on social media that is the easiest way to stay up to date with everything Facebook, Instagram and Twitter Sadly, no TikTok yet, but maybe we're going to bring back the MySpace. I think we talked about that recently, so uh, <laughs> bring back MySpace. And, of course, if you want to stay up to date with the show in terms of subscribing and never missing an episode, search for Off the Podium and all the good podcast channels, all the bad ones too. I always just said the good ones. I'm sure there's some bad ones out there as well that we are on. Off the Podium is what you search. Hit subscribe. That simple, and you will never miss an episode. And you can go back and listen to all the other episodes that we have dropped in the past as well. Thanks again to Brad. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And as always, go left. Take me